This talk was given by Ronald Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and is co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation, please visit our website at zmm.mro.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. Good morning. From the Blue Cliff Record, Case 25, the hermit of Lois Lotus Flower Peak holds up his staff. The pointer to this koan. If your potential does not leave its fixed position, you tumble down into the poison sea. If your words don't startle the crowd, you fall into the streams of the commonplace. Suddenly, if you can distinguish initiate from lay in the light of sparks struck from stone, if you can decide between killing and giving life in the light of a flash of lightning, then you cut off the ten directions and tower up like a thousand-fathom wall. But do you know such a time exists? To test, I'm citing this old case. Look. The hermit of Lotus Flower Peak held up a staff and showed it to the assembly, saying, when the ancients got here, why didn't they consent to stay here? There was no answer from the assembly. So he himself answered, because they did not gain strength on the road. Again, he said, in the end, how is it? And again, he himself answered in their place. With my staff across my shoulder, I pay no heed to people. I go straight into the myriad peaks. The poem, dust and sand in his eyes, dirt in his ears. He doesn't consent to stay in the myriad peaks. Falling flowers, flowering streams, very vast, suddenly raising my eyebrows to look. Where has he gone? Um, it's good to be back. I was away, over five, away from the temple over five weeks, and um, I missed it. I missed you. Um, I missed the relationships. I missed practicing here. Um, uh, Ehu and I were in New Zealand uh, for that time, um, mostly uh, visiting centers, um, teaching, but also touring um, and learning about New Zealand. It's, it's my fourth trip there, so beginning to dig in. It's beautiful, remarkably beautiful. Uh, it's comfortable. It's a wonderful country to be in, very easy to be in, and the people are very easy to be with. Uh, there's a responsive sangha. They're practicing hard. Uh, it's not an easy situation for them to practice where they see a teacher twice a year. And yet it was interesting, wherever we went, Donald Trump went with us. Um, I, I was surprised how deep the preoccupation was with his policies, his demands, his leadership, and the effects on the ecology of the world we share. And I, I actually shouldn't have been, because 
uh, as a country, they it's a small country, and I don't know how exactly how many people and sheep there are, but uh, maybe three million people. Uh, two two big islands, a few smaller islands, and most of those three million, uh, at least half of it, are congregated in one or two larger cities, and there aren't any other cities that are significant in size. Um, so um, they're extraordinarily sensitive in their isolation to the ecology of their island, which naturally, um, until humankind has interfered, has no mammals, has no predators other than birds. Um, there are some, and they're fighting the good fight to preserve their ecology and the, the native critters because they're pretty defenseless. Um, they're very sensitive to um, pollution, to um, the kind of a 1970s dream, you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's not all that simple, of course, but um, there is that aspect to it. Uh, and they're, they're very opinionated and have strong, real opinions about uh, about these issues, uh, about the issues with the Maori, which are the, quote, native people who came native in the sense that they came, I think, in the 1600s. Um, a very proud people, warrior-like people. Um, and, um, and we spent some time um, with them. Um, so I, I probably should not have been surprised at this sensitivity to uh, our president and to all uh, that he represents as someone who's oppositional and protectively fearful um, in his position of immense power and influence. And um, uh, I, I just somehow thought in my naiveness that I was leaving that behind. <laughs> But I wasn't. And, um, you know, from their perspective as this tiny little country, um, it's, it's easy to have a sense that they're powerless in this. Uh, but they're not. And it's easy for us to have a sense that we're powerless uh, with what is before us in terms of what represents uh, to such a large extent. And I'm not talking politics here so much as Roar aggression and protection, and um, the oppression of any viewpoint uh, that doesn't um, preserve and protect my own viewpoint, and the the nakedness of that, the the transparency of it. Um, I'm always amazed when I see pictures of, and maybe these pictures are selected, but I saw the same, got the same sense in the debates, and I see him, and I'm looking at him, and it's such a definite sense that's being communicated of his persona and his, um, you know, I don't want to use too many adjectives here, but his smugness and um, sense of um, absolute... um, Narcissism, really. Um, And I realize from this kind of bully pulpit um, may not be necessarily politically correct to speak in these terms, but I I think I need to speak in these terms. Um, And 
my point is that we are not powerless. We actually have immense power. All the power we need, both individually and particularly individually. That's where it starts, individually. Uh, and then even more so from the individual perspective collectively. Um, when we turn our willingness and attention uh, to taking up the, the realization of who we are and the, the application of this realization to the world we live in, to actually, so that's a long-winded way of saying, to actually take our practice into the world, wherever our practice is. And when I, when I speak of realization, I'm not talking about some accomplishment. I'm simply t- talking about taking wherever we are and grounding ourselves in the practice of zazen, in the practice of liturgy, in the practice of uh, working with our own minds, and um, and turning that, not just uh, as something that we do in this room or do at home at selected times, um, but turning that energy and that sense of um, integrity uh, because that's what I feel when I do zazen, is I feel a sense of integrity. Um, I, I feel that this is this holds all of me, even if I'm confused, even if there's a lot of thoughts, even if I'm distracted. Um, that beyond that um, uh, pattern of me presenting myself to myself, is something much more powerful and much deeper. Uh, And sometimes that's very clear, sometimes less so. And the willingness to to use this power of our practice uh, towards uh, the compassionate use of the individual and collective power that we have is a pivot point of our life. It really is a turning point. I've spoken many times about how the Vietnam War was that for me that it, it transformed my life, and particularly because it was so personal. And I, again, I've spoken of this, that um, when somebody I knew uh, was shot and killed at Kent State without any justification, that affected me personally. That, uh, although I didn't immediately realize it, uh, that turned my life. I realized things are not what they seem. The government is not what it seems. That... Um, I'm being lied to uh, in some subtle and profound way. Um, and, um, you know, at, at, and although I started in a personal sense, not in a political sense, um, I started in a personal sense to, to question, you know, what am I doing with my life? What is this? What have I based my life on? And I was a young boy uh, in college. What have I based my life on? that I'm assuming something about it that um, is profoundly not the way it is. So one way to start is with a vow. And one of the things we do is we chant the Metta Sutra. And it's, it's an interesting relationship that we can have with this kind of practice because you know, you can, you can look at, um, these are the words of the Buddha, and this is 
his advice on um, how to live, how to wake up, how to live in harmony. Um, and one way to take this is have the words bounce off us uh, or to study the words a bit and say, yeah, this is a good idea. Um, and I think that helps a little, but not much. Um, with any part of practice, whether it's Zazen, uh, this particular liturgy, um, any anything that we do in practice, uh, working with the teacher, uh, the creative expression, all of it is the same. All of it is inviting us to be so deeply entwined with the practice, to be so deeply immersed with the particulars of that practice, Zazen, for example, that we know nothing about it. We, we have no idea what's going on, uh, which is always true, but uh, here we're starting off from that perspective. In other words, another way to say that is we're giving ourselves permission not to know, to, to be stupid, to be uh, free uh, from our own opinions, let alone what's offered to us, from our own uh, long-established habit forces of how we view things that come into us, and to actually question and investigate them for ourselves. And, and if you do that 100% of the time, you're going to encounter something that you've not encountered before about yourself. Uh, you're going to encounter a wisdom that you will recognize as a wisdom. And part of the Metta Sutra says, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, Forsaking none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. And then it gets a bit more personal. Let none through anger or ill will, let's be clear on the none, that means you, me, uh, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So when we take this up, when we study it, when we recite this each day, um, when, when we let it resonate within us, it becomes personal becomes something more than words on a piece of paper or a chant or something we do habitually. Um, you're actually studying it. You're, so, what, so what does studying it mean? Um, each one of these words is an investigation of the, this day of your life. What does it mean to go through a day wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease? How does that actually function? in this day, now, now. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to do this. I mean, you can take a line of this and write it down on a piece of paper and carry it with you through the day, paste it on your computer or whatever context your life is in, and, and keep it in front of you. And this is not a question to be answered. It's an investigation of who you actually are. 
And so it doesn't have an answer. It has an opening. It has, it's a door stepping into a room that has no walls. Uh, So the power and depth of our existence can be staked on these vows, can be staked on these investigations. Um, We're not going anyplace. We have a lifetime to do this. So it's not a box to be checked. Uh, It's an investigation, a careful Sherlock Holmes, you know, why didn't the dog bark investigation. And I sometimes wonder when I do these literary references. (laughs) Anyway, this is my problem. So it is personal. So wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Who's being left out of that? What's the grounding of that? And there's a care here, which I'll talk about a little later, about applying this or not applying it to all beings, but to the koan. The hermit of Lotus Flower Peak held up her staff and showed it to the assembly, saying, when the ancients got here, why didn't they consent to stay here? So the, the staff, and there's a traditional I think it's a seven-foot or some equivalent to that staff that um, a teacher receives uh, on transmission. This is a kind of a mini version, uh, mini staff. Um, And um, it's a sign of realization. It's It's one of the articles that's transmitted from the teacher to the student. Uh, as is this, called the cuts, um, that um, represents realization, a realized being. And it also has a function, as all these implements do. Uh, So it's a staff. Um, When I was in New Zealand, uh, I bought a a shorter staff with a different function um, that was intricately carved by the Maori. And... It's not so much I told myself that I need a cane, um, although I noted for the rest of the trip I used it, um, but it was just struck me as this work of art that was magnificent. And I you know, kept wondering, are they going to let me through all the many security checks I had to go through? And nobody blinked an eye, so... So, when the ancients got here, holding up this staff, the staff of realization, why didn't they consent to stay here? So, what is here? What is special to awaken to your wholeness, to the limitless depth of this, to personally realize it as your life? Is there something special about that? I mean, this is an important question. Do you know for yourself how important your own awakening is? Is that something that has a relationship to you, that you have a relationship to? 
And again, I say this every time, awakening is a particular word that uh, is a placeholder for something that really can't be spoken of. And so to the limitless depth of this, Sometimes in the Mountains and Rivers Order, we use the word uh, being clear in terms of awakening. And I think that's a much better word because um, there's, there are degrees of clarity. There are degrees of awakeness starting from the first time that you sit down and do Zazen. So if this is your first time doing Zazen, it's starting Um, and it's not a thing. It's not a, a, a given thing. You know, it, what comes to mind is if you've had your eyes tested at the optometrist and they put these big things over your eyes and they say, is this clearer or is that clearer? And you always feel like you're failing this test. <laughs> and, um, and, and then sometimes you have some degree of confidence that, yes, this is clearer than that. And then they take it one more step and... You know, it's too clear. It's like, you know, you're overexposed. Um, So that's, you know, in a way, an analogy, what clarity is like. Um, That if you get too fixed on this-ness of the clarity of awakening, then that becomes out of focus, actually. It gives you a blinding headache, is what it does. Um, And yet, if you can't see, then you bump into things. I think the Buddha called that the first noble truth. Um, several years ago, I'm told there's, there was a, um, a commercial that showed a baby being born. And then in 30 seconds, the commercial fast-forwarded through the child's entire life until he was an old until he was old and gray and hunched over. And finally he let out a gasp and crashed headlong, headlong into a grave, dead. And then the words flashed across the screen, life is short, play Xbox. <laughs> really? Is, is that the best you've got? You know, for your life? You know, is, is this your life? Life is short. It's fragile. It seems headed for death and injustice. And is there nothing you can do about that? Is the answer really just to play more video games or to distract oneself? Or much more commonly, not even have it on, on your video screen, on your monitor? And, you know, not think about it. Or whatever the screen is in your life. Work, relationship. Um, I can't fear. I'm helpless. You know, I'm a cynic. You know, that doesn't apply to me. Really? Is that the best we've got?
So why does this hermit hold up a staff and show it to the assembly? Here is the whole of reality. This is the whole of reality. It's not a metaphor, but it's one's own realization of reality. You are the whole of reality. You yourself. You are not a metaphor. But you are your own realization. You are are your own degree of clarity and confusion and lack of confusion. And you're not helpless in this. So we're here, right here. And this is what we're practicing. The realization of our entire being. I say our entire being, and our thought probably goes to this being. But our entire being has a lot of beings in it. Lots and lots and lots of beings, more than we can imagine. It's a very large body appearing in this limited edition of you. This precious limited edition. We're given this life, and it's precious, no matter how short or long it is. That's irrelevant. It's going to end at some point. So the question is not how short or long it is. It's what you're doing in the meantime. So the hermit asked the question. When the ancients got here, why didn't they consent to stay here? And there's no, there was no answer from the assembly. So he himself answered because they did not gain strength on the road. The practice and the realization that arises simultaneously with the practice is is true, it's real, and it's a start. We chanted this morning, to realize the absolute is not yet true enlightenment. That's a summation of this koan. But it is a start to sit and deepening our seeing into who we are and all beings are. It's a start. It's a crucial start. It's a start in realizing that your suffering is mine, even though your experience of pain is yours in your way, and mine is mine in my way. It's a start in realizing that we've set up our life, all of us, without exception, have set up our life in a way that's comfortable for us, that we've moved all the pieces of our life around in a way that works for us, that gets us what we want, even if we're not necessarily defining and aware of what we want, but it does get us what we want. It gets us, it satisfies us in some way which is the explanation for how we can cause ourselves so, so much pain and yet not change it. 
because it does satisfy ourselves in some way. It's familiar. We know it. We're in control. So we're in a little room putting pictures on the wall that we've drawn. Remember when you were three years old and you drew the picture and mommy put it on the fridge? This is the life we lead. But there's a point at which we need to take down the pictures off the fridge. We'll put them in a box. We'll put them in the Louvre. Wherever, whatever is appropriate. So the start in our practice, in our zazen, in this, is an important doorway to realizing that in the boundless ocean of who we are, even if the waves ride up onto the beach of endless suffering, even if we can see that and feel that and hurt from that, that we demand of ourselves to not avoid seeing what's real, which includes the suffering. It also includes the freedom from suffering, which is what this practice can offer. But what I'm trying to awkwardly say here is to acknowledge what is easier not to acknowledge about our life, about what we see, about what's around us, about what's in this world, and to understand that there are no protective gates, that the very act of protecting ourselves, of setting up something that is a fence around ourself creates immense harm to ourself. If you had to buy, just in your imagination, rebirth, think about this. What would you imagine that Donald Trump's next rebirth would be? But in Zen, we understand that karma also is now. That the future we're creating, we're creating right now. In what we do, and what we think, and what we say. That's our power. We're not necessarily given to measure that, to know where that goes. Because the forces of karma are so vast and so multiplied, that you can never know. The Buddha said this. We're not given to know even our own personal karma in a a complete way. Although it's not hard, I think, to certainly see aspects of our karma and how it comes to fruition within our lifetime. And yet, 
there's much more room for not knowing. There's much more room for um, for wonderful possibilities that we would like to deny because it means in our mind taking up some responsibility for ourselves and others. And yet in that denial, we turn into our fear and pain as the basis of our life. So we have to say something. We have to do something. We have to look carefully at something. It doesn't mean we do everything. It just means that we do what we need to do, that we're called to do, that we can imbue as ourself, that makes sense in the context of our life and our particular power in the uniqueness of our being. And there's an appropriateness to that. There's a timing to that in life. There's a, um, uh, a care to that. Um, there's a responsibility which can be financial or uh, children or relationship or many other possible things. And yet within that, there is always some room. There's always a bit that we can do, and maybe a bit more, without setting up some idea of, I can't possibly do this. We don't know what we can do. So the hermit says, because they do not get gain strength on the road, is explaining. He's saying, staying here, just sitting in the peacefulness of our wholeness, does not gain strength on the road. It's not enough. It's essential. It's essential because we're crazy without it. We're self-centered, egotistical, narcissistic-based beings without some sense of being quiet and seeing into the depths of who we are. Nothing wrong with that, in a sense. It's just how we're trained. So we, like the Buddha did after his awakening, have to get up and gain strength. We have to be tested. Really, we have to be tested. Be tested by the reality of everyday suffering, of our being, of being free, what it means to be free from suffering, what that actually means, and yet be bound by our vows and by our aspiration to awaken. So the Buddha said, with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings? radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading kindness over the entire world, upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. 
So the hermit said, translating this, the Buddha's words, in the end, how is it? And again, he answered in their place, with my staff across my shoulder, I pay no heed to people. I go straight into the myriad peaks. The myriad peaks, you know, his Traditionally, we go up the mountain for wisdom, reach the tip, the, the wisdom, and then go down the mountain with compassion. So it's a symbol of the work. And the peak, and this koan is about the hermit, hermit of Lotus Flower Peak, this is where he lived, is the awakened state. But let's be clear here. Awakening and delusion, holding up one's staff of clarity, going forth into the myriad peaks, sitting zazen, is one single practice. It's not sequential. It's not a staircase of increasing value. The entirety of our being is always present, has always been present. The power of awakening, the power of compassion, our compassion, the power of commitment of going straight into the myriad peaks, knowing of the steep climbs and the sharp descents that await us, The power of this has no boundary at all. It's beyond our imagination. What we will experience when we go into the myriad peaks, we do not know, we will never know. We may have some sense of what we have and know if we don't. And if you're happy with that, I'm happy with that but I hope you're not. And yet, why does the hermit say, with my staff across my shoulder? And this is a key point of this koan. What do you do? How do we do as we walk into the mountains and valleys of the nitty-grittiness of the messiness of the messiness of our minds and all of the challenging thoughts, messiness of our habit patterns, messiness of the relationships and the situations that we have worked hard to create that don't seem to have any solution that satisfies us. How do you do this? in the midst of all the noise? How do you keep your sense of stillness, of wholeness, of of an integrity that is beyond ethics and morality? As you interact with others in the midst of virulent opposition and aggression, 
Why does he say, I pay no heed to people? Does it mean he ignores everybody? He's not looking for guidance in standing on his own feet. She's not looking for guidance in understanding what's important to her and what her life is staked on. She's completely free and independent and goes straight into the myriad peaks. And because of that, because of that, others follow and then others lead. There's not one mountain, there's not one peak. There's peak after peak of snow-covered mountains. One does not stop. There is no stop. In the midst of our practice of awakening, there's no beginning to practice and no end to compassion. And yet this has to actually function. It's important to recognize those who oppose us, those who are, in a Buddhist sense, our enemies, those who stand for destruction, for the values of wholeness, as best we understand them. It's important to recognize them, and it's important to love them. Love them not in a romantic or some idea sense. Love them not in a sense of some feeling sense, but to completely, because we're not going to have those feelings. At least I don't have those feelings. But I deeply respect who Donald Trump is. I deeply respect what he represents to many people. And I deeply respect the power that he has so that I know, in my respect, how to help him. And I don't mean in the name of help, I'm going to save a soul. I don't know anything about saving souls. I mean, to whatever extent I can help him and all beings, whatever opportunity is there, in whatever way I can, I will, without propagating his aggression, his violence, his judgments, his pain. And this is essential. This is why the hermit shouldered his staff, the staff of realization, as he walked, as she walked into the myriad peaks. That has to be there. If you go about your business just as opposition, without compassion, you will create more opposition. You will create more suffering. We have a long history of this. And even Buddhism is not exempt from that. And so everything we do rests on the power of our zazen, 
and the power that comes out of the insight from zazen. Everything we do rests on something we know nothing about. Emptiness, wholeness, oneness, unity, all these metaphorical words that really have no meaning except to represent a placeholder of our own direct experience of sitting zazen. So this is what I hope you trust. This is what I hope you value and understand. So that when your passions and anger overtake you, you have the willingness, be it in any cause, and just as important to your lover, to your boss, to your employee, and even more important to yourself. To stop. 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 What happens in stopping? That's the point. No idea. No idea. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.